Hi, thanks for joining us here at AnimalCafe.co. Each Monday, you'll find a new interview with experts and enthusiasts working to better the lives of animals. On Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, we meet in the Chat Cafe, where you can ask questions and have a conversation with our guest. Check our website, AnimalCafe.co, for guest and host profiles. Hope to see you there. Tonight on Animal Cafe, we have with us Chef Craig Zelesnik of Chef Canine's Doggy Bistro and Bakery in Pompano Beach, Florida. Chef Craig has been a professional chef for 10 years and has a degree in nutrition and fitness, as well as a canine nutritionist on staff who has been researching breed-specific studies now for almost 30 years. We're very happy to have him with us tonight. Hi, Craig. So what's a day in your life as a canine chef look like? Well, first, it's great to be here. I'm happy to be interviewed. Uh, a day in the life of uh, an employee or uh, the owner-operator of Chef Canine. It really depends. <laughs> Wear all your hats. If I'm wearing all my hats or I'm talking for any of our staff here, a day in the life of Chef Canine's uh, definitely productive, definitely a lot of hard work, a little bit of stress, but at the same time rewarding also because we know what we're doing here is honestly a benefit to uh, our clients. And when I say our clients, I mean the uh, both the owner and the dog who's actually consuming uh, one of our individual meals. Yeah, I saw some really incredible photos of your products and, and thought if I ever had to eat dog food to raise funds, because people mm-hmm. do do that, <laughs> yours would be a safe bet. Um, could you Definitely. describe <laughs> some, some of these meals uh, that are available in your gourmet line of uh, dinners, treats, and pastries for people? Sure. Well, first of all, uh, every ingredient that we use is 100% suitable for human consumption. We literally purchase our ingredients from the same purveyors and suppliers that supply our fine dining restaurants all across the country. We use reputable farmers. We use ingredients and source our ingredients from local farmers and uh, suppliers within the United States. The only ingredient that we actually import from outside U.S. lines is our New Zealand leg of lamb, and that has to do with... um, protein to fat ratios of domestic lamb versus imported lamb and also the nutrient profile of the individual ingredient of lamb. So that's one of the reasons that we, uh, we bring in the uh, New Zealand leg of lamb. Uh, but short of that, all of our ingredients are, are local or within the United States, uh, be it produce or protein sources or whatever it may be. Everything comes from within the U.S. Um, every ingredient that we use is something that we literally eat over here. It's something that we have to taste in order for us to know what's what's going on and what's going into our diets. Uh, and if something's properly prepped and cooked and cooled, uh, we have to taste it. Um, that's part of being a chef. And being a chef is um, making sure that the taste and the textures and, and the scents and all the above are uh, exactly where they need to be and not where they don't need to be. All our, diet, our, all our diets here are different from one another. The nutrient profile of individual ingredients and obviously the nutrient profile of the dog being fed dictate exactly how, what, and where we're going to prep for an individual dog. We look at the entire, uh, we look at every dog as an individual rather than the entire canine world as a whole. Like uh, Yeah, like like everybody is giving dogs the same food uh, across the board, and I noticed that you design diets for specific breeds and sure. then refine it from there. So Exactly. Well, um, within our, if you've been to our website, uh, you've probably looked at, uh, I don't know, 35, 45 different breed-specific diets. That's amazing. Uh, within those breed-specific diets, we prepare uh, specific formulations for males versus females, 
puppies, adolescents, adults, geriatrics, working dogs, and or pregnant lactating dogs too. They all have different nutrient requirements and therefore require slightly different formulations uh, for the end result diet. For example, um, an adolescent female may get broccoli while an adolescent male gets spinach or um, the ratios for the adolescent male may be slightly higher uh, when it comes to protein percentages than they would be for an adolescent female. So. Again, we look at every dog as an individual, respect that individual dog, and build accordingly. What, so what led you to make this kind of decision as a, as a business model for Chef Canines? A lot went into it, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. but uh, look, my background is in nutrition and fitness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I became a chef uh, directly out of school. I went to culinary school while working full-time for uh, one of those traditional um, old-school German chefs, uh, the ones you see on TV that uh, <laughs> scream and holler and throw hands and uh, throw the food right back in your face. I mean, that's that's uh, that's basically how I grew up in the kitchens, and I dealt with um, some of the toughest in the biz. Boot camp. Uh, <laughs> and uh, honestly, I, I climbed the ladder rather fast, and um, I got to know the restaurant industry uh, for all it's worth, and that's to say that there are a lot of pros and cons to the rest of the world. Uh, I also realized that uh, after working in the biz for a very long time and heading some kitchens and uh, working with some really wonderful chefs, some of them, um, if I mention them, you might even know their name from the, from the Food Network, uh, it just made me realize that there was more to it than um, what I was getting out of it. And I didn't want to wake up when I was 50 years old one day with a bad restaurant review and have my restaurant taken away from me. And I just kind of realized that there was more out there and more to offer. And since I, at the time already, was um, dabbling in cooking for my own dog uh, or cooking for family dogs that had some uh, special medical needs and even some friends I would assist with, it just kind of paired off well. My uh, knowledge of nutrition, my love for dogs, my love for for food and and nutrients and and how they're all best assimilated, um, how they differ from uh, human physiology, all of that just kind of paired off well, and I really just one day I was brainstorming, the idea came to mind, and I thought, well, if I'm already doing this, let's take it one step further, and let's do it one, you know, one level better. Um, let's see how much, uh, how much more we can put into this, and, and is, there really, is there really a calling for it? And when I did my research, I, I found out that uh, well over a million people in this country cook for their dogs on a routine basis problem when people cook for their dogs is that they don't know what it is they're cooking or how much to use or what the ratio should be and uh, generally speaking uh, veterinarians uh, largest concern when they hear that somebody's cooking for their dog is is the diet complete and balanced and the trick to that uh, little question is no diet that any person is presently feeding their dog from a commercial world is completely balanced for any given dog the nutrient requirements of a shih tzu differ greatly from that of a Yorkie, and the nutrient requirements of a Yorkie uh, differ greatly from the Rottweiler down the street and the Labrador down the street from that, and so on and so forth. No two dogs are exactly alike. No two dogs originated in um, the exact same area, Uh, and therefore um, every dog is going to do, or every breed of dog, is going to do um, slightly better or slightly worse depending on what ingredients are actually put into their bodies. And when you were talking about the commercial dog. There are so many pitfalls and so many problems and just so many misplaced theories on how to uh, approach feeding a dog. And unfortunately, for the last 90 years, there has been commercial pet food. Uh, 
and um, it's kind of brainwashed uh, the public in the process. Uh, we all kind of think when we get a brand new dog or we adopt a, a rescue dog or whatever it is that it's it's our job to go out and get the uh, best bag of dog food we can find on Petco's shelf or pet supermarket shelf or whatever it may be. And the problem with that is we are not looking at the individual requirements of the dog. We are not looking at the individual dog um, with respect to whatever um, potential medical ailments they have or could develop. And we are definitely not taking into account what goes into pet food. Uh, and unfortunately, um, the governing body that governs uh, is the AACO. They do a terrible job of governing pet food, um, which is why uh, labeling laws are so slack and pretty much any ingredient can find its way into your dog's food. And once I did my research and once I learned what was really into uh, dog food, uh, per se, uh, I knew that we had to set out and offer an alternative to people who, uh, much like myself, uh, treat their dogs like their children, like family members, literally want what's best for them. And I know that I personally, being that uh, you know I, I have experience with nutrition and fitness myself, uh, I don't eat all these processed foods. Uh, I don't buy a lot of uh, processed foods. Um, I don't consume a lot of processed foods. I believe what we cook and what we see and what we see going into our foods makes all the difference in the world. Uh, and that's really the case with our dogs, even more so. Uh, they have shorter lifespans, and um, unfortunately, you know, with, with dog food, they're forced to consume um, some ingredients that you couldn't pronounce, wouldn't want to pronounce, and don't really want to know what's going into truth of the matter is there is slaughterhouse waste. There's the uh, dead, dying, diseased, deformed animal, or D's, as, as um, it's, it's commonly referred to. Uh, that goes into dog food. Yeah, uh, and those which, are allowed into dog food, which oh, yeah. and, and the thing is, is that the uh, because of the way the labeling laws work and because of the AAFCO and uh, the way they work, um, and again, they're not like the FDA. They are not a government agency. They're a regulatory agency that... Uh, tries to govern so much and only a small percentage of their time can really go into watching pet food. And because the labeling laws allow for pretty much anything to get in there, uh, whether you're using the bottom barrel barrel uh, Walmart brand or you're using um, some super premium organic, whatever it may be, it's still not telling you uh, what ingredients are really going into your dog's food. And what percentage of those ingredients are from the dead, dying, diseased, deformed animals, uh, what percentage of those ingredients are rancid, where these, um, where the produce that they're using is sourced from, where the, the fats and the animal fats and, um, for that matter, the animal proteins, where they're sourced from. And generally speaking, these commercial companies are purchasing in bulk, uh, and what they're doing is they're purchasing another company's garbage. They're purchasing slaughterhouse waste. Mm -hmm. uh, they're purchasing stuff that a... Uh, for example, a rendering plant or, excuse me, a, a processing plant for, say, poultry, they have a big bin at the end of the assembly line. The commercial dog food companies, they're buying in mass quantities these unusable garbage-like ingredients from these processing plants and slaughterhouses and so on and so forth because uh, the only other thing these companies could do with, um, with these foods or these deformed animals is, is throw it out. So they're turning it over to the pet food companies to make a profit uh, off of what would otherwise be garbage because they can't sell it uh, for human consumption. Uh, therefore, it goes to our doggies. And um, when you love your dogs as much as uh, I do and, and our clients do, and um, I'm sure anybody looking you know, through your blogs does, commercial pet foods just don't make sense. Even the best of the best, uh, just because they're labeled organic, does not tell you 
you know, that, that organic carcass that the meat is coming from, what kind of, what kind of animal it was. I mean, even organic farmers have to throw stuff away. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot of ins and outs to commercial pet foods, and um, I truly believe, and I have proven this time and time again with a lot of the dogs that have walked in our doors uh, or called us, uh, being that we deal nationwide, uh, is that dogs will, uh, like people, um, many of them consume the same diet every single day uh, without any problems whatsoever. And then many of them have uh, what's commonly referred to as food allergies or food intolerances. Uh, they'll go into the veterinary office for uh, an anti-inflammatory for a hotspot. Uh, they may get an antibiotic for a bacterial infection, only to mask the problem without looking at the root of the problem. The root of the problem generally, nine out of ten times, is um, nutrition. Yeah, a lot of those food allergies uh, can create just a host of symptoms that become chronic. Absolutely. And And they give them Benadryl, and then, then of course, itching goes away, but the problem doesn't go away. And then it comes back, you know, depending on the dog. Again, everybody's an individual. Every dog is an individual. But some dogs, you know, are back in the vet's office four weeks later, some three months later, uh, some every two weeks. And it gets to the point where either the owner just comes to accept uh, what's going on, and they've just come to accept that Fluffy is going to itch and scratch and gnaw at their hindquarters and have redness between the toes and, uh, you know, every month have a couple yeast infections in their ear. Uh, these are things that owners come to accept, and they just come to accept that, okay, when it gets bad enough or I'm just um, fed up, I'm going to take them to the vet and we'll get another shot or we'll get another medication. And if we could address things properly, like I do with a lot of the vets that refer us clients, it's a, a combo effect. It's a matter of working with uh, the owner, working with the veterinarian in order to uh, get things under control. And that starts with diet. I prefer not to have to use uh, excessive amounts of medication and not to mask problems, but rather to, if possible, cure the problem or at least alleviate the the symptoms um, greatly. And that's generally done by feeding a dog an appropriate diet. But what makes an appropriate diet for one breed of dog could be an inappropriate diet for another. So it's a matter of respecting um, the the dietary sources and understanding um, that uh, some dogs do well off of chicken and lamb, and some dogs do well off of um, a beef-based diet. Some dogs do well with grains. Some dogs should never touch grains. Some dogs do well off of red potatoes, while another dog needs sweet potatoes and russet potatoes. So it really comes down to the nutrient requirements of um, the respective breed, uh, and in many cases, the individual dog being fed. But you also have to uh, pay careful attention to the team. Uh, and when I say the team, I mean the, um, the role players, so to speak, in a diet that make up a diet. You have your, uh, your vitamins and your proteins and your mineral team and your trace mineral team and your enzyme team and your fiber team and your fatty acid team. And uh, as long as every member of this entire team are working together, then the team itself can take a positive step forward, and hence the dog itself can take a positive step forward in what is the ultimate goal, which is to create a healthy lifestyle for the dog being fed. So uh, what was your thinking on rotation diets then? Uh, Not a big fan, to be honest with you. Dogs need a consistent supply of the regular ingredients that should be within their diet. Um, So when you take a dog and you switch them from chicken and rice to... uh, beef and barley to um, lentils and lamb, whatever it may be, uh, if that dog cannot utilize or assimilate the ingredients that are being put in its stomach, uh, that are being put in its bowl, then we are doing that dog an injustice. 
So while they may thrive off of the chicken and rice diet, but they're not going to do well off of the beef barley-based diet, we're not doing that dog any favors by feeding it that beef and barley-based diet. What we have to take into account is humans and canines are very, very different species. Our physiology is different. We walk differently. We look differently. We obviously talk differently. Uh, We think differently. And uh, to take what is a human behavior, which is um, taste and variety and, 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 um, you know, I want chicken on a Tuesday, I want uh, want a burger on a Wednesday, I want a sandwich on a Thursday. That is a human pattern of behavior. Uh, It is not a dog's pattern of behavior. Dogs will eat whatever you put in front of them, generally speaking, most dogs. And uh, sadly, that means a bowl of kibble or um, canned food that's been sitting on a shelf for you know, God only knows how long. And that, le- that leaves people who do home cooking, like me, <laughs> uh, with a big question mark then, because sure. we, we're t- we think about complete and balanced and mm-hmm. how that has to be accomplished over time, because right. you're never going to get that in one bowl. Right. Um, so that's why I was asking about the rotation diets, because then you're changing the vegetables and the protein and, <laughs> well, and going through problem. all that and then doing your blood work, you know, at the end of the <laughs> year well, the, to see the problem, that you're doing the, the right thing. Is that, and this is what we see a lot of over here is that people um, who, who, again, uh, people that come our way are, are people that love their dogs beyond all means, uh, more so than their husbands sometimes, more so than their wives. <laughs> Uh, believe me, if I had a dime for every time somebody asked me to take their spouse and trade or please take my children, just save my dog, uh, I'd probably be a billionaire by now. Uh, very often times um, we feel like uh, counselors over here more so than, uh, you know, chefs or educators simply because mm-hmm. we counsel clients on how to appropriately feed their dog or what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate. But uh, generally speaking, when somebody like yourself who says, I try to cook for my dog, says that to their vet or to a professional or to somebody that has um, some some bit of know-how in the field, uh, one of our biggest worries is how are you approaching it? And if you're just taking whatever leftovers you have and throwing it to, to Fluffy, mm, we're not no. If you're mixing it with um, a commercial food, anytime you mix and match foods, the essentially all you're really doing is unbalancing any one given diet. So when you take one brand of food and you mix it with another brand of food that may be, say, a wet food, uh, which is very common amongst people, and then on top of that, you're adding uh, fresh baked chicken breast that you cooked for yourself. Uh, the only thing we succeed in doing is unbalancing any one diet. And on top of that, again, who tells us that these diets are pleasing balanced for the given dog? Um, the nutrient requirements of a Yorkie and the nutrient requirements of a Rottweiler are very different. Uh, but according to the side of a bag of dog food, we simply uh, complete that puzzle by feeding a little bit more or a little bit less mm-hmm. uh, and we take into account uh, the actual nutrient requirements of the given dog. Uh, and it, it really is an injustice. And unfortunately, um, you know, like people in this world, you could have 100 people. And 90 of those people could eat McDonald's every single day of their lives and never experience an elevated level of anything and never have a problem. And the other 10 remaining people could literally look at a McDonald's sign never having eaten any and gain 10 pounds overnight <laughs> Raw levels go up, and they're, they're already ready to broke out. So a lot of the dogs that we deal with over here are considered the exception to the rule. They're not your average, everyday, healthy dog that could eat um, tree bark and still get along. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the same time, some of our clients over here are your normal, everyday, average, healthy dogs, um, but their owners want what is literally best for them, and they want to eliminate whatever risk that commercial foods pose to their dogs. Mm-hmm. And, Especially after all those pet food recalls, though, 
Um, you know, it's sad that that's what it took for a lot of people to recognize what was going in their dog's mouths. It's just that there's been so many cover-ups over the years, and there has been um, so many smaller recalls that nobody knows about that it took so many dogs dying and so many dogs suffering for people to really open up their eyes. And um, fortunately, at that time, we were already well in business and uh, able to answer a lot of the questions that were sent our way. Uh, but, um, hmm. you know, uh, uh, we couldn't save every dog, and at that point, uh, the damage was already done. It, it certainly opened people's eyes, I can tell you that. So you, you do a lot for specific breeds and then senior dogs uh, and dogs with chronic illness. And how do you deal with people with Heinz 57 dogs? <laughs> so to speak. Right? Uh, general rule of thumb when dealing with a mixed breed dog is you feed the dominant breed. Um, when I say the dominant breed, let's say we have, for example, a Labradoodle, uh, a Labrador mixed with a, a standard poodle. And we're looking at the dog. The dominant breed is the breed of dog that the dog most physically looks like. In other words, if we're looking at Fluffy and we know that Fluffy is a mix between a Labrador and a standard poodle, but all we see is standard poodle in Fluffy, then Fluffy's dominant breed is going to be that of a standard poodle. And we will generally approach that dog from the aspect of and the nutrient uh, requirements of a standard poodle unless something else dictates otherwise. Uh, and generally speaking, that is the rule of thumb. That's how you uh, deal with a mixed breed dog. Uh, now, have I seen dogs over here that... Uh, we had some difficulty determining what their uh, lineage was. Absolutely. Have I seen dogs come in over here where they literally look like a Labrador retriever? However, the owners decided to spend the money for one of those fancy DNA tests that, uh, in my experience, are not worth the money and do not um, determine the uh, breed of dog very well, if at all. I've seen a lot of that over here. So, you know, generally speaking, again, we like to treat each dog as an individual, and we like to, you know, look at pictures of that dog and get as much information as possible on that dog so that we can build the best possible diet. Now, when we're, um, we basically offer two different things over here in that we offer a breed-specific diet where we tailor it according to your dog's age, weight, and sex. That's where those um, specific formulations come in for uh, males, females, puppies, adolescents, adults, oh, okay. yeah. so forth. And then we also offer the custom-formulated diet for for dogs uh, for dogs with um, the special medical needs, for dogs that don't, don't fit the breed specs. Uh, we also offer custom-formulated diets for dogs where we uh, simply do not have a standard breed-specific diet for that breed of dog. Uh, I mean, there are over... 400 different breeds of dog. Uh, there's no way for us to address every single breed over here. Um, so this is why we take dogs on a case-by-case uh, -case basis, and we take dogs as individuals. Uh, we take doctor referrals, and we don't. We try not to ever turn anybody away. But um, you know, it, it's a matter of respecting and looking at the individual dog and building accordingly from there. And that enables us to have a lot of flexibility over here. The kind of flexibility that no other company in existence does have. And while I know there are other companies out there that make um, turkey mutt loafs or um, some kind of beef stew or something for dogs, that's more of a, I don't want to say fad, it's more of um, a way to spoil your dog by giving them something special once, uh, but it would not be something they should exist off of every single day. And um, we are in the business of giving dogs exactly what they do need, none of what they don't. And when I say um, none of what they don't, I mean 
none of the wrong dietary sources and no chemicals and no preservatives and no artificial flavors and no colorings and no meat meals and no uh, meat byproducts. Uh, we uh, use ingredients in their strongest possible state in order to um, give our dogs the strongest possible chance of enjoying a very high-quality life. And that, that's really how we go about things over here. Okay, so you follow the guidelines of the National Research Council. Correct. And you and your canine nutritionist produce these wonderful meals. Uh, what process do you use to make sure the food being shipped keeps its nutrients? How long do they last after transit? And what's the recommended limit on freezing fresh food? Okay. Uh, well, first of all, everything here is um, prepared by hand. We don't have a giant um, manufacturing facility. We are literally a kitchen built for dogs. So small so, batches of things. Uh, small batches mm-hmm. of everything. And um, everything is prepared individually. That means the beef is cooked separately from the chicken. And the chicken is cooked separately from the yellow squash. And the yellow squash is cooked uh, separately from the broccoli. And, and the broccoli separately from the carrots. And the potatoes are, are cooked in uh, several different fashions, but they're all cooked um, separately. And this allows us, uh, again, flexibility and the ability to address a dog's unique nutritional needs. It allows us to change up tastes and textures while stay, still staying within the realm of their nutrient profile. It ensures freshness. And when we get ready to package a dog, you know, we all know that it's coming time for um, Snickers batch of food. So my staff and myself, we get together, and um, once uh, once all the food ingredients are prepared, uh, we we start mixing up Snickers' big bowl of food, um, whether that means 10 pounds for Snickers or mm-hmm. that means um, 110 pounds for Snickers. You know, we have we have clients on pretty much every extreme. So I believe our our smallest client over here is probably uh, just over a pound. Our largest client over here is uh, over 250 pounds. Our wow. oldest client that passed away um, probably about eight months ago was 21 and a half years old. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, our little pups. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one of the ways that we ensure freshness over here is once a batch of food has been um, made up, and when I say made up, we uh, literally have a menu for each individual dog sitting in front of our entire staff as we're putting this together so that uh, Chef A knows we have to have uh, 1.2 pounds of uh, yellow squash. And Chef B knows that we have to have uh, 3.11 pounds of, of, of chicken breast. And when we put all these things in and we mix everything up, uh, our very next step is to obviously monitor the, um, the temperature of the food as we're mixing it up and make sure it's still within its uh, safety zone. And then our very next step would be to vacuum seal these foods into one, two, or three-pound increments, depending on the size of the dog. Really small dogs, uh, we're talking eight-ounce increments. That way we can maintain freshness. Uh, But we vacuum seal the foods uh, right away. And when you vacuum seal, you uh, remove all oxygen from the food. And it's oxygen getting to our foods that uh, literally starts to eat away at the the nutrients and and starts to create the um, spoilage factor. Once you remove the oxygen, you remove some of that risk. And once everything is vacuum sealed and, and packaged and, and uh, you know finished up being packaged, uh, packaged, we flash freeze so that we maintain um, the ultimate in freshness. And now as far as shipping, um, we ship, uh, again, it depends on whether we're dealing with a local client who might be coming in to pick up or um, somebody who prefers delivery locally or one of our clients on the other coast or in New York or New Jersey or 
uh, Connecticut or Chicago, whatever it may be, uh, when we ship, we ship uh, utilizing dry ice and custom-made uh, insulated boxes in order to keep the, uh, the food safe during transit. As far as how long a food can remain frozen, really, as long as that seal is remained intact and that food is uh, you know, within its vacuum sealed package, food can really be frozen indefinitely. You know, we'll generally say, you know, please, after two years, uh, you know. <laughs> You're thinking in a home freezer, yeah. Yeah, but even then, as long as that mm-hmm. seal is intact, there's no freezer burn getting to the food. There's no degradation of, of the nutrients mm-hmm. or food itself. Uh, and I literally still have food um, sitting in my freezer uh, that we routinely test and send away for analysis that's been sitting there for uh, five, six, seven, eight years. So these are things that we monitor over time and things that we, uh, if we notice something, we, we get better with it. But uh, generally speaking, um, food is food. It's not, uh, it's not magic. It's just a matter of preparing it properly, feeding it appropriately, and um, sticking to certain guidelines when feeding your dog. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, that's basically how we approach, you know, approach the whole method over here. Okay. Are there any uh, events or plans or something new that's coming up you'd like to share? <laughs> well, um, there there have been some things in the works. We always like announcements here, you know. <laughs> uh, there is potential for a doggy cooking show, yes. Um, I probably yeah, shouldn't say that uh, because we have not signed all the paperwork, but um, it's something that we have, uh, we've turned down a couple times with the wrong production companies, uh, but it's something that we look forward to doing with um, the appropriate channel, let's put it that way, whether that be the Animal Planet or Bravo TV, it was never the networks that are a problem. Um, it's just a matter of finding the right fit for for us. While I would love to make a TV show and, and entertain people, uh, at the same time, I I also want to be sure that I'm taking care of uh, things on the home front. And that's... Exactly. Uh, yes. Well, okay, folks, you've heard it here first on AnimalCafe.co. <laughs> <laughs> And, okay, can you tell us how to get in touch with you then, your website, physical address, Facebook, all that kind of thing? Sure. Uh, we're actually, uh, I was a little slow to get on this, but we're actually building our Facebook page now. But uh, we do have a website. It's www.chefcanine.com. It's spelled uh, www.chef, the letter K, the number 9.com. As far as our physical address, we are located in South Florida. Our facility address is 3350 Northwest 22nd Terrace, suite number 400. We are located in Pompano Beach, Florida, 33069. You can always reach us by email and or by phone. Uh, phone number is 954-270-CHEF. And uh, email, you can always reach us at sales at chefk9.com or even my own personal email here, which is Craig, C-R-A-I-G, at chefk9.com. Well, thank you so much for being here with us tonight, Craig. We really enjoyed it. And we look forward to you coming to the Chat Cafe on Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And we'll see you then. I look forward to it.